Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. Two middle school boys had been friends all their lives. They and their families had grown up together in the same neighborhood. They had been a part of the same church, and they just spent time together. One day, one of the boys said, God just always seems mad. It's like he just sees all the bad stuff and he sort of enjoys it. And I can't figure it out. The other one said, well, I think God seems like a God of love. He, he understands and he wants to help and he offers his help. And they fought back and forth about this for a long time, and they never could get to the same place except they said, well, at least we both believe that He exists. That's the problem. I know that atheism is on the rise. I understand that there is fluctuation in the belief systems of people that say God is or God is but he's not what we've always thought. I know that has changed through the years and continues to. But by and large people still believe that God exists. They may identify him in different ways but they still believe that God exists. The problem is they keep having this discussion with each other. Is he a God who is angry? Or is he a God who loves? Today I want us to think about the relationship between us and God. This morning we're going to see sinners in the hands of an angry God. And tonight I want us to think about God in the hand of an angry sinner. In the first place, God is often presented as though there are two competing natures. On the one hand, there is the God who is angry. And on the other hand, there is the God who loves. Maybe you have heard of the sermon preached in about 1741. It has been acclaimed to be one of the greatest sermons preached in America by a preacher named Jonathan Edwards. And he entitled his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It was an interesting sermon. I have it in PDF form and I have read it. It was in a whole different era, that colonial period, a whole different time. And people were different and they talked different and they did things in a different way. But this sermon is incredible. 
Maybe not because of its scholarship and, and not because of its timeliness so much, but because of its effect. The whole time they were together that day apparently was about six hours. Don't dare get upset when we go to 1115. <laughs> six hours. The reports that came from that sermon were that the people were howling and screaming. And he had to pause often throughout the sermon to get people to pipe down so he could talk. And what produced all of that? We just kept referring to this angry God who right now has you suspended over the fiery pits of hell. And he spoke about it in such glowing terms and, and such emotional language. He constantly referred to the only thing that stands between you and eternal condemnation is that God is holding on to you, but the gravity is pulling you down. And at any moment, you could fall into that place. And the people were terrified. His was a presentation of God who is just angry. Now, I know that God has been angry. On Wednesday nights, we've been talking about the justice of God. And we've noticed times that God was angry. And I've noticed a few more in this sermon. Like Numbers 11 and verse 1. When the people of God got pulled off into idolatry. And God, or because they were complaining at this point, they were complaining to God. God was so angry with them that his anger burned. And the Bible says that a fire from God was sent among them and consumed many of them in the outskirts of the camp. God was angry. In Numbers 25, some neighboring people under the leadership of a guy you will recognize, Balaam, the man who had experienced the talking donkey, whom God had sent to bless his people, and the king had hired him to curse those people. Balaam said, I'm going to do what God says, but down deep he didn't want to. And now in Numbers 25, he has taught these people how to get Israel to fall. And he led them into idolatry. And the Bible says that God was angry. And he said, you take those leaders of the people out and you hang them in front of everybody so the anger of the Lord will be stopped. God was angry. 
In chapter 32, they were again complaining and upset and going off into idolatry. God was angry. When they came into the new land in Joshua 7, they went into Jericho and to destroy the city. And God said, don't you take anything? This is the first city in the promised land and everything belongs to me. Because the first of everything belongs to God. One man, Achan, stole some gold and some robes and hid them in his tent. And God was angry. And they took that man and stoned him. Burned all the things that he had stolen because God was angry. And the anger of God is not confined to the Old Testament. Jesus came into the temple on a Sabbath day in Mark chapter 3. And as he looked around, he noticed that the leaders were watching him closely. They were trying to see, is he going to heal on the Sabbath so we can get him? And the Bible says, and he was angry. And he called this man who had a lame arm and he healed him right there. But Jesus was angry. And in John chapter 2, Jesus came into the temple again. And this time he found his father's house being abused by all of the trading and the selling that was taking place of animals and goods. And he made a whip. And he drove out all the buyers and sellers and he turned over all their tables. Jesus was angry. Not one of us can deny that Scripture presents the anger of God. But God is also the God of love. Exact opposite concept of God, not that He wants to kill and destroy everyone, but rather He is preached by some as the God who loves everybody and everybody is going to be in heaven someday, except maybe the very, very worst. It's the concept of universalism. And universalism builds its platform on John 3 and verse 16, and not one of us will deny that it is true. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That universalist mentality says that God's love keeps him from being angry. And it keeps him from punishing. He is the God of love. And so with the God of anger, we have an ogre. And with the God of love, we have a grandfather who just sits in the sky and takes care of everything 
I found it fascinating that in the church where Jonathan Edwards in 1741 preached in such a way that people were terrified of hell and reminded that sin is what sends them there. And now I found that that's an all-inclusive church. In fact, their preacher, man, has a husband who preaches for another church in that area. Boy, times change, don't they? So now we have, he is of God of two natures. Some think he's only an angry God. And some think he's only a loving God. But I want to suggest to you that he is one God. One God. And one nature, but with two hands. Look at our text in Romans chapter 2. On Monday nights, we're having a Zoom Bible study on the book of Romans for this month. And I, showed, I talked about the idea that as Romans opens, chapter 1, God says, all the Gentiles who never had a written law from me, they are still guilty because they had a law in their own conscience and they saw it in nature. And they saw his eternal power and Godhead. And they saw this being that it created and had done and provided. And yet they did not act consistent with that view that they had of God in nature. And so God said, you're without excuse. You are sinners. And in chapter 2, as though the Jews were standing on the side as God rebuked the Gentiles, they're clapping and screaming and saying, yeah, God, you go get those evil Gentiles. He turned right around and he said, verse 1, you Jews are inexcusable yourselves. What? You had a written law, but you're not following it. You're sinners too. And then in chapter 3, he makes sure everything is covered. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3 and 23. And then in chapter 6 and verse 23... The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. 
God has two hands. Notice, if you will, verse 5 again. In this text, God says, these people were hardened. They had an impenitent heart. And because of that, they were storing up, treasuring up for themselves, notice, the wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. God is angry. God is angry because anger is an emotion that keeps us in the right place and identifies for us that which is not right. Anger is not a sinful concept. In Ephesians 4, about verse 26, it was Paul who said, Be angry, but do not sin. And if we are made in the image of God, then we are made to be angry. And if a person cannot be angry, then how can they stop that which is wrong? How do you oppose that which is not righteous? It is anger that makes us stand in opposition to that which is not right. But what he is saying in this passage is God says, I'm angry. I'm angry because you are not penitent. Instead of laying up treasures in heaven, you're treasuring up, you're storing up, you're collecting the righteous, wrathful judgment of God. But look at verse 7. On the other hand, eternal life to those who are patiently continuing to do good, reserved for you is glory and honor and immortality. On the one hand, God says, you're treasuring up wrath because of what you're doing. And on the other hand, he says, here is glory and honor and immortality because of your patient continuance in doing good. God is one nature with two hands. And the key is verse number six who will render to each one according to his deeds. God will extend his hand. And he will extend the hand based upon the deeds of the person 
to whom he extends it. And these are not deeds created in his or her own mind. These are not deeds by which someone can say, I'm a good person, I deserve. Not those kinds of deeds, but the deeds that are compared to that which God teaches in Scripture. Now, he says, based on your faithfulness, God extends his hand. Here is the picture. Matthew 25. All nations are gathered before him. And he gives that speech where he says, you saw me sick and hungry and naked and poor and in prison and you did not do anything. Well, when did we see that, they said. When you saw my brethren and you didn't do anything. These are called the left hand. And in the nature of God, the left hand of wrath will be extended. But then there are those on the right who in the same scenario saw Jesus through their brethren sick, destitute, in prison, in need. And they extended their hands to help. And these on the right are those to whom the God of love will say, Come, you blessed of my Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He's one God with two hands. And he will extend whichever one is based upon the faithfulness of the person standing in front. The sermon was not wrong. Sinners in the hand of an angry God. Not wrong. Over-dramatized, over-emphasized, and maybe not balanced. I don't know what he preached later. But to get God out of balance, to think of him as an ogre, or to think of him only as this grandfatherly figure, it is not the way to present him. The Bible presents him as a compassionate judge, rendering according to each one's deeds. The truth is, we're all sinners in the hands of an angry, yet loving God. He is angry at sin. There's something in the sermon that I, had, that I read that I thought was quite fascinating. And he said this, the sun doesn't shine so that you can see to do the evil deeds that you do. 
The plants do not grow to feed your evil desires. The world does not exist to allow you time to do whatever you want to do. And his point was, sin not only corrupts individuals, but sin has also damaged the creation. And as Paul would write in Romans chapter 8, it longs to be released from the curse of death that's placed on it because of sin. Today, you can choose by your life. We can choose by our lives that God will reach his hand of anger at the end. Or we can choose by our lives that God will reach his hand of love and invite you into his kingdom. Yes, we're all sinners, but we can be forgiven sinners, renewed a brand new life. Today, if you want to decide, as Bryant did, that it's time, it's time to make a commitment to Jesus. It'd be a great day to do it. Or if in your commitment to Jesus the fading has happened and you're farther away than you've ever been, come on back. It is why we exist as a church to help and inform each other and others to be who God wants us to be. We sing for your encouragement as we stand together. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.